The same people who control the school system control the prison system and the whole social system ever since slavery. Like a 12-step brainwash camp They make you think if you drop out You ain't got a chance to advance in life They try to make you pull your pants up Students fight the teachers and get took away in handcuffs And if that wasn't enough, then they expel you All your people's understanding, but to them, you a failure Observation and participation My favorite teachers, when they beat us in the head with them books It don't reach us Whether you break dance or rock sway to Adidas Or be in the bathroom with your clique Smoking reefer, then you know they mad class Ain't important unless you add enough cash And multiples, unemployment ain't Rewarding. They may as well teach us extortion You either get paid or locked up The principal is like a warden in the four-year sentence Mad never finished But that doesn't mean I couldn't be a doctor or a dentist Uhuru, you are tuned in to the People's War Radio Show I am Tiana Africa and I'll be your host for today's show I greeted you with Uhuru, which is a Swahili word that means freedom And freedom should be on our minds 24-7 The song you just heard was They Schools by Dead Prez. In They Schools, Dead Prez chronicles the African struggle against colonial education. Today, our topic is Black community control of schools. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, schools across the United States abruptly closed in March. These school closures left African families in disarray. Some school districts implemented distance learning plans, and others did not. African children without regular access to computers and the internet have been further alienated. In the haste to reopen and jumpstart the economy, public school districts have reopened despite the fact that one out of three children tested for COVID-19 in places like Florida have received positive test results. Also, almost 60% of children who have experienced Kawasaki disease-like inflammatory symptoms as a result of COVID-19 are African children. As a mother of two elementary school-aged children, I can honestly say that the best interests of African children and African families are not considered in any part of colonial education. In the schools, we have seen African children arrested for bringing play money. We have seen the natural hairstyles and head wraps of African girls and boys criminalized. We have even seen African girls brutalized by campus police. Africans have resisted colonial education. Homeschooling is on the rise. However, African families that receive cash aid from the government are not eligible for homeschooling. If they remove their children from the colonial education system, their children can be kidnapped by child protective services. Single parents with jobs as well as African households, where two parents work and barely survive, cannot afford homeschooling. What is the solution? The solution is Black community control of schools, and that is what we are going to discuss today. Today's show is entitled Black Community Control of Schools. I will be interviewing two special guests, Chimarenga Silimbao and Maisha Kudumu. We will be discussing Black Community Control of Schools. Our first guest is Chimarenga Silimbao. Chimarenga is the National Director of Organization for the African People's Socialist Party, a lifelong leader in the Uhuru Movement. Chimarenga is a founding member of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement. In the late 1990s, Chimarenga led the fight for the creation of the Marcus Garvey Academy, a proposed charter school in St. Petersburg, Florida. He also ran for Pinellas County School Board on a platform of Black community control of schools. Our next guest is Maisha Kudumu. 
Maisha is the director of Uhuru Shule Virtual Freedom School, an initiative created by the Uhuru Movement in San Diego to assist African families following the shutdown of the local schools in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uhuru Shule also teaches self-determination to African parents and children. Maisha is a mother of two children. She holds a bachelor's degree in English literature and a master's degree in counseling. As a young activist, Maisha participated in the Center for Parent Involvement in Education, a grassroots initiative created by her parents, also lifelong education activists, to promote self-determination of African parents and children as the key to educational success. Welcome, comrades. Chimarenga, what does Black community control of schools mean? What does that look like to you? Well, uh, thank you for inviting me uh, onto uh, your show. And from the standpoint of the African People's Socialist Party, uh, Black community control of schools means Black people actually having control over the hiring, firing, disciplining, curriculum, for all the schools that are in our community. Now, sometimes in the past, uh, I've heard the argument from the bourgeoisie, well, uh, you can't say black people, white people can't come to your school. Uh, It can't be majority African. And my answer to that is we were not trying to uh, stop anybody from coming to the school It's just they would get an African-centered education when they do come. So if a white person decided that they wanted their child to get an African-centered education, they could come to Marcus Garvey Academy at the school that we were promoting. So this is all about power, just like anything else in society. The one who controls the levels of power, that's who's going to get the outcome that they want. So if you want African children not to continue to fail in the schools that they go to, then you have to get control over those schools and create a curriculum that is in the interest, totally related to the interests of those African students. Uh, Secondly, you have to be able to hire the people who are going to uh, be committed to that kind of program, uh, African-centered program. And you have to make sure the administration is the same way Uh, not hostile to the freedom of African people and African people having power, because unfortunately, uh, the black middle class, uh, this is not their philosophy. Their philosophy is integration. And uh, we had a slogan back in the day, it was like, uh, keep your diversity, give us quality education. So uh, that really sized up in a nutshell uh, that we wanted power as opposed to the ability to go sit next to white people in classrooms. Maisha, when speaking about community control of the schools and education, curriculum is an issue that must be addressed. What do you feel is lacking in the curriculum when it comes to teaching Black children? What should Black children be taught when it comes to school and education? Well, Uhuru, comrade, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, this is a you know a wonderful opportunity, so I definitely appreciate it. So I will say, first of all, we are lacking from the curriculum. We as Africans are lacking our our presence, uh, representation and history is lacking. 
from the curriculum uh, of colonial schools. Um, you know, when does colonial education ever even discuss us <laughs> outside of slavery and maybe the civil rights movement? Um, and, you know, and does this discussion even happen outside of February? So, you know, our, our children need to know of uh, the African presence all over this globe and our centuries long fight against colonial colonialism. Um, our children need to know that, you know, we are leaders, we are warriors, we are teachers, educators, inventors, scientists, you know, as well as artists, uh, doctors, you know, we make this world go round. We and our children need to understand that and uh, be able to uh, see themselves in that. Um, you know, and this is again just why community control of the schools and the curriculum is so important uh, because in, until we have that, we're we are not going to to see that. And this question is to both of you. The patterns of discipline in schools are much like the disciplinary actions law enforcement takes when dealing with criminals. We know that law enforcement and Black people have a violent relationship. Black people are constantly being harassed, threatened, and murdered by police, and yet more law enforcement has been placed in public schools. This is known as school-to-prison pipelines. How can parents combat this? Should we demand for law enforcement to be removed from the schools? What would be a necessary alternative? And Chimarango, we'll start with you. Well, first, I want to appreciate uh, Sister Maisha. And as she was talking about uh, community control of schools, we say black community control of schools. And when she said colonial education, it struck a nerve with me because that's exactly what black community control of schools is supposed to do. It's supposed to deconstruct that colonial relationship that African students and parents have with the system. So to deconstruct that relationship, you have to have power. Uh, power doesn't operate in a vacuum. Uh, that would mean taking power away from the people who control our education now and giving it to the people uh, in the African community. So uh, I think the answer to your question is, is uh, one, if you get black community control of schools, it changes the whole dynamic of everything that happens in the school. It, it gives you control over who can be there, whether the police are going to be there or not. It gives you control over the curriculum. It gives you the control over who's going to be teaching your children. And it just seems to me that the, the center of black community control, the, the actual power to educate our children and deconstruct that colonial relationship that we have with the system, is the center of all of the solutions to the education of African children. Thank you. Maisha, how would you answer this question? You know, when we talk about law enforcement, and I, I use that term law enforcement uh, loosely because they, you know, what we know is the police are not really enforcing the laws of our people, right? Uh, so when we when we talk about that and having them around our children in our in, in the schools where they are, where they spend a lot of their time, um, you, we just automatically, you know, I know it, it's it, 
it's not something that has ever sat well with me. Um, you know, I, I just even you know as a child, I have experienced being, you know, second grade being pulled out of my classroom and interrogated by the school police. You know, uh, it has happened to uh, children at my children's school, right? I've seen the images of, you know, uh, our girls being body slammed by school police, you know, again, them being interrogated, our children being interrogated without their uh, parents' presence or permission um, and just criminalized. Uh, so it's, it, you know, police at the school really serves no purpose. Uh, and I think that the way that we combat that is by, again, having Black community control of the schools. Thank you. In the public school systems, they have a zero-tolerance policy that targets Black children. According to the U.S. Department of Education, Black students are three times more likely to be expelled or suspended than white students. In the South, the numbers are even greater. Do you believe that there is a different way to discipline our Black children than there is whites? And for those who may not be able to homeschool their children, how can the different disciplinary measures be implemented in the public schools? Chimaringa? Well, I think we have a problem because sometimes there is a logic put out that if you're in a public school as opposed to a private school, then that's, you know, something beneficial for African people. However, uh, I would go back to what I said before. You, If you're deconstructing the colonial relationship, because that's what exists here, a colonial relationship, the power full and the powerless, and is being done uh, as colonized subjects. We are colonized people. So to change any aspect of education, you have to carry out an anti-colonial program. And that program must be black community control of schools so that African people are deciding what curriculum is in the school so it can work in the interests of African people. For example, it doesn't make sense to be sitting in a classroom uh, as an African student hearing the teacher talking about our founding fathers. What do you mean our founding fathers? George Washington was a slaveholder. Why am I listening to you tell me that George Washington was my founding father? That's insane. So you have to have a curriculum that makes sense, that's in the interest. It's not in the interest of African students to, to hear this kind of distorted history, this revision of history. But it is in their interest to know what happened before so they can understand what we have to do to get out of this situation. So I think it, it's almost like Black community control of schools is the answer to all your questions. <laughs> uh, that, that, because I, every time you ask a question, I have to go back to the whole question of who's in control of this education, be it a public school, a private school, uh, and 
this county where I live at in Panelus County, Florida, at one time, uh, the had the lowest graduation rate of African males in the United States, not not in Florida, in the United States of America. So we saw it close up and personal in terms of what was being done to African children. Uh, unfortunately, the system would always pretend that they didn't understand what was going on. We don't understand it. Why, why do the children, why don't the children thrive in these schools? Why do the African children, they, they can't do math and they don't read? Why don't they? Well, because they're in a hostile environment. They're in an environment that was created by colonialism. Colonialism isn't nice anywhere else in society. You're locking up African children every day. The police are harassing African people on the street. So we can't reasonably expect the school system to be any different. It's a part of the colonial state. It just happens to try to paint a nice and fluffy cover around itself by saying, well, we... You know, we're education. We're not like the other parts of the state that murder black people, but you murder their brains. So we have to just be clear about what our objective is and set our demands high and uh, nothing short of our absolute freedom and absolute destruction of this colonial school system is going to work for us. We need control and power over our own lives. That's the only thing that's going to get us out of this situation. Nothing short of that. Once we come to that conclusion, we'll see a different outcome. Uhuru. Uhuru, thank you. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Black Community Control of Schools, and our guests today are Chimaranga Silimbao and Maisha Kudumu. Maisha, the COVID-19 pandemic caused the closure of public schools in San Diego, where you live. How did this impact African families? Well, uh, African children make up a little bit over 10% of San Diego Unified School District. Uh, and just at my children's school alone, it's about 20% uh, of the school. Um, you know, also at my children's school, about 90% of the children qualify for free or reduced lunch. So when schools shut down, uh, so did a lot of resources for the children. Uh, as you mentioned before, you know, some some of the schools had uh, distance learning plans in place. Some didn't. Uh, there were so many weeks of uncertainty, um, you know, where children didn't necessarily have access to computers. Children didn't necessarily have access to the Internet or just to clear guidance on instruction. Um you know, they, they try to put a plan in place as, as far as getting computers. But again, you know, if you if you don't have the Internet, if you you know, 
there's just certain things that you don't have access to, then, then, you know, distant learning might not have necessarily worked out for you. And then also once they did officially implement distant learning, in my personal opinion, it, it really did not, uh, it just really wasn't engaging. It wasn't engaging for either of my children. I don't feel that it's, um, it just, it just gave them the, the instruction that they needed. And so I can only imagine other African families really, you know, how much they might've really just struggled with the process. Uh, so, you know, I, I definitely, when this all happened, um, if it hadn't been a, a wake-up call, <laughs> if, I, I, if I wasn't a wake-up call for me before, then it was definitely at that point when the school shut down, how important it was for um, Black community control of the schools. Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. One way you responded, Maisha, in San Diego was by creating the Uhuru Shule Virtual Freedom School. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So, like I said, when, you know, when the, the school shut down and I realized that my children just were not going to get the education that they needed, and they already weren't being in a colonial school, you know, I was really coming to terms with, with that. Um, but, you know, just to be, just to be transparent, being, you know, a working mother, a single mother, sometimes you get kind of, you know, lost in, in, in this colonial rat race. Right. And so you, you, uh, basically give up too much of your control in, in letting these colonial schools try to educate your children. So I definitely um, have struggled with a lot of that. And then, you know, when the whole shutdown happened, it was just like immediately, it it was just right there. Like this is, we, this is right in our faces. We have to do something about it. We have to do something about it now. Right. So for me, just taken from, you know, demand 51, of the Revolutionary National Democratic Program and saying that our demands, you know, are free, compulsory, compulsory and comprehensive education for all Africans wherever we are located. Okay, keeping that in mind, keeping in mind that the education program, you know, our education program should equip equip our African children with uh, independent, self-reliant prosperity, okay? Keeping in mind that it should be technologically driven in the era that we're in, and it should be based on our true history as African people, and it should, you know, speak to our legitimate culture and experience the totality of it. Bringing all of that together, just, you know, let me know that Uhuru Shule was that important. And so, you know, this is something that has Uhuru Shule is, you know, process that we're doing now, this virtual curriculum, it's just a, it's a revamping of what has been done before to educate and have, uh, you know, Black community control of our, our, the education of our children. 
it's, it's a revamping of it. But it was, you know, like I said, it was a, a time where there was an urgency for it. There was an urgency for uh, children to our children to have African representation in their education. There was an urgency for children to be able to have access to that education wherever they may be. It was a, uh, um, the urgency for them to be have be able to have access to it, whatever their um, you know whatever their household income might be. All of that was b- brought to the forefront, and I just knew, and I you know reached out to my comrades like this you know something that we just have to do, so that again, uh, you know it's, it's an online curriculum, people can access it, families can access it from wherever they are. Uh, from wherever they are, from whenever they have the time to do so, at whatever pace they need to go. Um, and it's like, it's a complete representation of us. And so, you know, that was our response. We're, we're continuing to uh, build on it. It has all, you know, all of the subject matter. There's, uh, you know, history, math science, engineering, arts, um, you know, physical education, art, uh, just everything, all, all the different types of, um, subject matter that you would see in, in, uh, a typical school, but with African representation. And again, like I said, it was the most important thing for me was to make sure that families could access it, could access it for free and could, you know, access it from wherever they might be. Ahura. Indeed. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Black Community Control of Schools. And our guests today are Chimaranga Silimbao and Maisha Kudumu. Chimaranga. You were involved in an effort to build an African-run charter school in St. Pete. Can you tell us about the Marcus Garvey Academy? Sure. Uh, So in 1998, uh, the Pinellas County School System, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, is located, where I live, is located inside Pinellas County. Uh, Schools in Florida are uh, controlled by the counties. It's 60, 67 counties in the state of Florida, so it's 67 different school districts. Uh, and this one is Pinellas County. Uh, so in 1998, the the courts, the school system went to the courts to get from under the court order that was put in place in 1971, uh, the so-called desegregation order. Um, they had used this order since 1971 to carry out their insidious uh, plans for so-called integrating Africans into the school system. So thousands of Africans, uh, 10,000 students a year, 10,000 African students a year would be bused to the far reaches of Pinellas County, while only 1,500 white students were bused on a rotating basis every two years. So we put in a charter school application for 45 students. And they said, 
you know what? This is one of the best applications we've ever seen. And then they denied it. And they denied it because they said, you can't have a, a, a school in the middle of the black community that's not majority white because we, we have uh, restrictions and quotas that say uh, in our desegregation order that schools can't be majority black. So they denied that application for a charter school that they said was one of the best they had ever seen. And then they denied it. And, you know, people were crying and when they came out of the school board meeting and, and I was, I wasn't crying. I was incensed because it was just a confirmation that the colonial school system had no intention of educating African children and they had no intention of letting us do it either. So, so, uh, black children just were going to be left to their own devices. As a matter of fact, there's some very interesting statistics in this county. Uh, they had done a study uh, in 1998 uh, called The Effect of Poverty on Education of Black Students in Pinellas County. One of the things that it showed was that every year that a black student was in Pinellas County schools, their achievement went down. So when a black child got into the school system, they said about 42 percent of them weren't ready for school. By the time they reached second grade, about 58 percent weren't ready. So 11 percent of those students could have stayed home, did nothing and would have just been just as well off as if they had went to Pinellas County Schools. So that's how insidious this thing is. So when that application was denied, it was sort of a setback, but it was also very enlightening because it, it helped us understand some things about uh, the education system in this county, but also it helped us understand some things about education in general. So uh, two years later, uh, we, the, Inter the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement was responsible for finding some plaintiffs in a lawsuit, a state lawsuit against the uh, Pinellas County Schools, uh, and the basis for that lawsuit said that black children were not being educated in the public schools and they were not getting a quality education, which is a guarantee in the Florida Constitution. That case became a class action suit for all present and future black students in Pinellas County. It was finally settled about 10 years later. We got kind of iced out of that settlement However, it did uh, end up being settled and they opened up 500 new charter school seats. That didn't do a thing for the achievement of black students because the only thing that can, can change that is the deconstructing of a colonial relationship that African people have with the school system. And that's gonna require black community control of schools. So that's a fight that still has to be won. Um, 
Marcus Garvey Academy was a great attempt at that. Uh, we still have the Marcus Garvey Academy concept paper, which we still hold and we still got it. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we will uh, be able to put put it on the ground, but it won't be as a charter school that I'm pretty certain about. Um, it would more than likely be a private school. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you raised the whole question uh, with Maisha about COVID-19 and what it uh, required for the children to they close the schools and required the children to be at home. And uh, as you can see from the statistics that I just uh, said, that uh, in Pinellas County, staying at home wouldn't necessarily did any damage to the students because if they go to school, the achievement is going to go down. So, uh, you know, it's been some pretty nasty things that have done been done to black children in this county. One of them uh, was Marks Garvey Academy being denied, but uh, that was just one thing. Uh, we we've had a long string of you know terrible things happening to black children in the school system. Um, so we just have to continue to fight it. And uh, I do not believe that the majority of, of black parents are going to take their children uh, out of public schools. So we have to look at that and say, well, what does that mean uh, if you're going to have black community control of schools and uh, even private schools controlled by black people, uh, then what is that going to mean if most of the children are going to stay in regular schools? Uh, we would have to say, uh, well, we have to be there to advocate for black children because the colonial school system will continue. The attacks on black children will continue as long as colonialism is alive. Therefore, we must uh, create a way to defend those children in the public schools uh, that that we don't have access to. Uh, we have to continue to uh, fight for black community control of schools, fight to defend those children that still go to those schools um, so they can be educated uh, because the way the situation is right now, um, colonial schools will never educate black people. That's not what schools are for for colonized subjects. So uh, once we deepen the understanding of our community to understand that we're colonized, once you know what you're up against, it arms you to be able to fight back because you know what it is you're fight, fighting back against and what it is you're trying to get. Thank you. Maisha, homeschooling is very popular right now for some African families. What are some benefits and contradictions of homeschooling? So I I just want to start off start off by saying that I am not a quote unquote homeschooling expert, and that and I that's why I'm, I was very um, I tried to be very transparent in what I was saying before that you know this is being a mother, making sure that my children are educated properly has been a journey. Um, and I've, you know, found myself, um, I can't even really call it a, like I said, a rude awakening with the whole COVID-19 shutdowns because like I, I've always known that it was there and the destruction of colonialism, I've always known of it. But 
that just just really realizing the urgency that I could just not continue to follow the status quo of having um, of having my children in the colonial educational system. So that being said, I mean, I, the obvious benefit of homeschooling our children and having control over how our children are educated um, is, you know, just the empowerment of, of our children, right? Um, being able to have control over the curriculum, their education, um, and, you know, what they are taught, uh, knowledge that they are fed, you know, so that, that's just the obvious benefit, right? And you asked about the contradictions. I think that the contradiction, you know, probably the most obvious contradiction also is the colonial system, meaning that uh, you have families who, you know, there there may be uh, single uh, uh, parent families. Uh, there may be, uh, you know, two parent families that are uh, struggling economically where they can't necessarily people, you know, because you, you have to make that time um, to homeschool your children. Um, there, you know, maybe lack of access to curriculum that represents us, you know, people may not know how to just even go about it, period. So I, like I said, I think, you know, there's um, obvious benefits, there are obvious contradictions. And as we get more black community control of our schools and the curriculum that our children are presented with, then that's, you know, that's when we begin to, to address uh, those contradictions. Okay. Well, once a child drops out of school, they are eight times more likely to be incarcerated. According to Manhattan Institute studies show 45% of black students compared to 22% of white students drop out of high school. Why do you think parents are so reluctant to homeschooling or do you see an increase of more parents homeschooling their children, Maisha? Homeschooling, I think it's just, it's just automatic. We, we were automatically have the tools to homeschool our children. Um, but this colonial system gets in the way of that, right? So as we acknowledge that we have the tools, as we start just making our children's education a pri- a daily priority in our homes, um, you know, we begin to start to, like I said, address the contradictions, address the reluctance and find ways that we're able to um, get control over what our children you know, what our children are taught. Um, and so again, that's, you know, just going back to Huru Shule, that's, that's one of my biggest uh, reasons for really pushing this type of virtual curriculum, because I realized that, that there are those contradictions. Um, you know, there is that reluctance and there is, you know, just uncer- uncertainty amongst parents of just how to even get started you know, what do you do? What kind of curriculum that you use? What, you know, is there support? And so I definitely just, you know, want parents to, if nothing else, have like a supplement, because that's really what a Huru Shule is. It's a supplement of something that you're not going to see in these colonial schools. Uh, and it's a way for you to, at home, <laughs> be able to just give, uh, you know, your children an, an education that represents them. Uh, so, like I said, when we start doing more of that, uh, when we start figuring out how to um, 
find ways to support each other in the homeschooling process, um, that's, you know, that's how we will address those contradictions and the reluctance. You are listening to the People's War radio show produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Black Community Control of Schools, and our guests today are Chimarenga Salembao and Maisha Kudumu. Maisha, African children are 2.5 times more likely than whites to be diagnosed with a learning disability. African children also make up 17% of school-aged children in the U.S., but they make up 33% of students diagnosed as learning disabled. How is the misdiagnosis of children as learning disabled a tool of colonial education? Uhuru. I'm going to tell you now, this particular question, I'm going to apologize up front if I get emotional uh, with this particular question um, because it hits home for me directly. You know, first of all, I want to shout out to Akif and Osset Nandi, the two people that uh, have blessed me with the title of mommy. Um, you know, and again, everything that I'm doing with the Huru Shule, just everything with the movement is is for them. Um, and Akif, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Akif. Akif, honestly, he is probably the one that, you know, me getting reconnected with the Uhuru movement, he's he's the one that did it for me because the, the first uh, Uhuru, Uhuru movement event that I took him to, you know, 10 minutes into it, he was like, Uhuru, Uhuru. And I knew then I was like, okay, you know, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And, th- and I, and, and I see it and this is what I want for him, you know? Um, so in discussing Akif, Akif was, uh, he was born, uh, at 24 weeks, you know, they call it a, a micro preemies. Uh, he had hemorrhaging on the brain. Um, and so he was uh, diagnosed as having traumatic brain injury, right. Which has just created some barriers, in navigating the the colonial educational system. Um, You know, before we, uh, he was born in North Carolina. We we lived in North Carolina for the first, you know, seven years of, uh, you know, his first seven years. And, um, you know, we were able to, it was a little bit different. The school that I I had uh, my children going to was a little bit different. And he was able to, in a general education classroom with some assistance, um, but, but thriving in the general education classroom. Once we moved to California, he automatically became a target and, and was switched out. And so for the last two years, I have just really been fighting against, um, you know, basically the, the colonial educational system dis- destroying his spirit, you know, um, despite the fact that he was born so early, despite the fact that he was classified as having a, a traumatic brain injury, my child, you know, uh, before the age of two, knew his shapes, knew his letters, his numbers, um, you know, before my my quote unquote typically developing child. Uh, at the age of four, he could tell you um, all of uh, the phases of the moon. Uh, he could pick up a puzzle piece um, and just put it exactly, you know, we doing a puzzle. He could pick up a puzzle piece and put it exactly where it needed to go. That's the way his brain worked at the age of four. As soon as I got him into the colonial educational system, it's just been constant, uh, 
struggle of them fighting against that. Like I said, of them just stomping on his spirit, um, on his uh, confidence, you know. Uh, So going, like I said, going from a child at four that could do all of that to a child at nine, just really being impacted negatively by the colonial educational system. So like I said, I, I see it firsthand. I live it firsthand. And I know just how out of control it can get with the school to prison pipeline. You know, I know that it's a reality and and just even um, in this whole process of the school shutdowns and the distant learning and, you know, because being a working parent, not being in the school every day and then just being really confronted with some of the images that they're showing these our children. I had to snatch them. I had to I stop. I stopped the Zoom meetings. I was like, you're, this is not what you're going to be showing my children. And I made Uhuru Shule his curriculum. That's that's what he's going. he was learning from, you know. And so. Like I said, you know, I um it's something I fight against. It's something that I have firsthand seen the danger of. And it's just why I am really just really passionate about black community control of our schools, of the education that we're um presenting to our children, of the curriculums that we are building, and and especially, you know, of really being advocates for these these children that are quote unquote different, right? That are that are getting these diagnoses. We really have to, you know, be on top of being their advocates and making sure that the, this colonial educational system is not just sucking them in and just spitting them out. And like I said, stamp, stomping on their spirits. Thank you, Maisha, for being so transparent with us. And this will really help so many parents. Chimaranga. Some people experience colonial education from a different perspective, as a student labeled gifted and talented or even different. Can you explain how this scheme of gifted and talented education is a way to fold African youth into the African middle class and make them loyal to colonialism and not the African working class? They use these special programs. Uh, Sometimes they call them advanced classes. They give them all kind of fancy names, but what it does is it creates a way to, one, create a school within the school. So the all the advanced classes are for the white people, and then you get a handful of Africans who might be in a class with all white people. Well, you, you what you're doing is creating an elite, what's supposed to be an elite group. So it's helping to create more of the black middle class to to and even if those those children come from a working class background, what they are doing is trying to transform that child into uh, being reborn as a member of the black petty bourgeoisie or, or African middle class, and uh, I think it's a it's a very effective way to do that because the Parents are very happy that their child is really smart, and but I'm telling you, it's not helping your child. Your child is being turned into uh, something else, and it ain't good. So 
Do we want all our children to achieve at a high level? Of course we do. But we don't want them to be walking around with their heads in the sky thinking that they're some part of some elite uh, part of society, some elite class. We don't want that. When I ran for school board, one of the things that I suggested that uh, all magnet schools be closed. Now, that might sound like something outrageous to some black parents. Well, you know, why would you do that? Well, because it just creates this elitist group. And instead of saying, well, this special school here for white people is going to be what helps the black people raise themselves up and kind of come up from nothing. Um, I said, well, we one, we shouldn't be saying that this school is bad and that one is good. All of them should demand excellence. All of them. That way you don't need a magnet school. Because if all of them are, are operating at a high level, you won't be trying to create this elite group, which also does something to the children who are not in that elite group. It suggests something to them. You don't have to say you're no good. You're not the best. Uh, you're not going to achieve. You don't have to say that. They can see it because the, the other students in, in those advanced classes, they got their own building. They got computers. They got everything. And it's clear that they're trying to transform them into an elite uh, class that would then be the the new senators who would take charge of the country and the new congressman and the new president who's now going to step on the people uh, from their vantage point. So this whole thing about advanced classes, we can't get tricked into that kind of understanding because when they say advanced class, they're not trying to help you. If the system has never tried to help you before, you shouldn't assume they're trying to help you by saying they're going to put you in an advanced class or a magnet school. In Panelist County, they spent over $10 million on so-called magnet schools that were supposed to go toward the education of black people. And they spent $10 million on magnet schools, of which the majority are going to be white students in. So clearly it wasn't being done for black people. It was being done for white people. As a matter of fact, the whole logic of magnet schools in this county was they claimed to attract white students of what they call voluntary integration, to attract the white students to the black community so they would, so the parents would voluntarily bring them. But that they weren't voluntarily sending the black students all over the county when they got on those buses every morning and 10,000 students were being bused a year. That wasn't voluntary. So we just have to be able to, as revolutionaries and as an organization, uh, continue to drive home our point about if you don't control it, it's, it's going to go in the direction of your enemies. If you don't control it, the enemies are going to control it. And I would uh, say to Sister Maisha, I think that the homeschooling is a very good thing. <clears throat> but I think we're going to have to kind of reinvent how the homeschooling is done so that the children also get socialization, interaction with other children. And, you know, some people are going to say, well, how can you do homeschooling if other children are involved in it? Well, we need homeschooling organizations. We need groups of homeschoolers so that 
they can get an education, but they can also interact with other children and become socialized the way that they normally would in a regular school. So I think we have to be creative. Our enemies stay up late at night thinking of ways to destroy our children. And they don't always sit up late at night saying we're going to destroy the black children. They don't have to say it. They just do it. So we have to be staying up late at night. Organization, organization, organization is going to be the key. Every level of the African community has to be organized, including homeschoolers and how we organize our children to be educated. Uh, We just got to depend on organization and our commitment to be free as the solution to stop this colonial school system. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our show today is entitled Black Community Control of Schools, and our guests today are Chimaranga Salimbao and Maisha Kadumu. This question is for the both of you. Please briefly sum up for us the best way forward in terms of fighting for Black community control of education. Maisha, I'll start with you. Uhuru. Um, so first of all, I just want to say it's definitely, again, an honor to, to be here, uh, to be able to talk about this, share my experiences, and especially be alongside um, Brother Chimaranga. I'm, I'm very honored. And I, and I do want to, um, I know he just mentioned, you know, uh, this, uh, the whole issue with socialization and just how, you know, homeschooling is not necessarily uh, a cure all for everything. And I, and I will say that I totally unite with that. Um, and that's one thing in speaking of a Huru Shule, something that we are doing that we're striving is to find ways during, you know, this COVID-19 pandemic to find ways for children to interact with each other online. So we have, uh, right now we have a Saturday story time where we're bringing in, uh, African storytellers, uh, sharing different stories of self-determination with our children. Uh, we're doing that regularly as a way for children to be able to see each other, be able to interact with each other, even if it's just online. And I think that um, in anything that we do, we have to interact with the, each other. Children have to interact with each other. With each other, African children have to interact with with each other. So that's totally important. I think that just, you know, moving forward, what's really, you know, what's essential for Black community control of schools and Black community control of our children's education starts at home. It does start at home. Um, And just recognizing that as parents, you know, as caregivers of these children, we are their first educators and we have to, you know, take that power and take it very seriously. Um, and then just really, you know, reaching out and coming together uh, to make sure that we, you know, we are represented in the schools that uh, are, you know, that we are, you know, have a hand and have control over what our children are being taught, who is teaching them and who, you know, again, are running these schools. But again, like I said, it, it definitely all starts with us coming together uh, to make that happen. Uhuru. Uhuru, thank you. Chimaranga, what is the way forward? Well, <clears throat> I think the way forward is is Black community control of schools. Our enemies will not 
uh, concede anything if we never demand anything. So that's what we have to do, help our communities to be clear about what we're up against. When I say make it clear what we're up against, make it clear what we're up against so we can help them understand how hard you have to fight to be successful. Not successful in the eyes of white people, but successful in our community where our children are actually being educated. You have to fight for that. That's not something that's going to be given to us. Nothing has been given to us the whole time since we were forced here. So I really want to appreciate uh, Sister Maisha and what she is doing. I believe that Black community control of schools is going to be something that we have to really expand the definition so it can encompass all the students. So it's not one thing. It's not private Black schools. It's not uh, creating schools that we control uh, in, that are public schools. It's, it's a lot of things. It's homeschooling. Is <clears throat> getting control over the public schools. Is is building more private schools that can speak to the interests of African children. So it's not going to be one thing. We believe it's going to be a number of different methods uh, of how we approach this question. But black with black community control of schools uh, in the center. Uhuru. The People's War Radio Show is produced by WBPU Black Power ninety six point three FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit APEDF.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Ankh, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests, Chimarenga Silimbao and Maisha Kadumu, for joining us today. We would also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in.